from Gay BC, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mack. Your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Hello, and welcome to the Happy Hour. Hope you're having a great Thursday so far. And uh, I'm joined here, uh, as always, with uh, our good friend Johnny Mack. And uh, Chick Maxson is on super secret uh, assignment this week. Uh, so it's not that he secret. will be back. <laughs> we actually have sent him undercover in the Lone Star State, where, as you know, he resides. And we wanted to find out just because there's been so much awful news as it relates to the trans community just how awful things are for trans people there so we have sent him undercover to look into the possibility of having a gender reassignment happen and we'll be looking forward to finding out what happens and whether or not uh, he will no longer be a he when he gets back or something like that yeah <laughs> so speaking actually to jump right into things um there actually is a bunch of stuff in the news this week um uh, about these trans bills that just keep rearing their ugly heads so um you know actually there was a sort of a, a piece of breaking news today um which we all saw coming but um in North Carolina, there are these this trio of anti-trans youth and actually anti-LGBT broadly bills that the um, Democratic governor had vetoed. And uh, they just – the legislature there, which has a veto-proof majority of Republicans, just overrid the vetoes. So those bills are going into effect – all kinds of stuff, um, including you know pr- uh, stuff involving trans uh, folks in sports, uh, banning instruction on gender identity, sexual activity or sexuality in kindergarten through fourth grade, notification of parents if a student wants to be addressed by a name or pronoun that doesn't align with those assigned by birth, um, and yeah. pro- uh, blocking gender-affirming health care to transgender minors. So, and, and these are the kinds of issues, Richie, that while they come up now at the legislative level and while they are overridden as a veto-proof override by the legislature, it doesn't mean it's the end of the road because one of the things that we have seen in numerous states, and we're going to talk about on this episode of the GBC Happy Hour, is the fact that there are people who reign a little higher in, uh, in our justice system who have the ability to step in and to stay these things when they're not constitutional or are deemed to be um, legally contrary to what should uh, happen in our society in the in the 21st century. So we can always hope that things happen that way. And also, this is why it is so important that so many of you who like to think, you know, I don't really want to get involved in politics. I don't like politics. It's okay to not like politics. Most of us who live and die by it don't like it either. But it's important that you understand that because of these things, we have to pay attention when this happens, and we have to remember these things when it's time to actually go and vote because it is when we take that position of I just don't want to get involved or get my hands dirty or think about having to vote 
that is that's what the other side is counting on and and that is how they manage to get numbskulls who pass these kinds of laws through mm-hmm. the state legislatures yeah and it's it's really true and you know we're going to talk about this um in a, in a segment a little bit later but it also really underscores something that the that that the conservatives have understood for a long time and which is the courts really matter and it's why they were laser focused during trump um no matter what happened they were about the courts and they count the courts and they count on voters being apathetic yeah and just not taking action and so they continue to con- uh, they continue to get away with these things time and time and time again because just like you think oh well the same gender marriage issue that was put to bed a long time ago right no no yeah it, it took, yeah it took congress codifying this beyond what the supreme court had done in order to give us even greater protection and we're going to get into that a little later too there's another recent um sort of news story um that came up um, and this again goes to the courts, um, where, uh, in, uh, I forget which state it was in. We'll get to the story later, but essentially, um, there was someone who is, uh, employed by a Catholic, uh, you know, organization, a, you know, Catholic run organization, and they cut off, um, benefits to the person's husband, same sex, you know, because it's, because it was a same sex relationship, they cut off the health care to the spouse, and uh, that state Supreme Court basically said, that's fine. You know, it's religious. Um, there's an exception for that. So you can discriminate against, you know, exactly the same, you know, married under the same state laws, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, because it's a religious organization, they can deny spousal benefits. So it's all kind of in the mix and it's all constantly being relitigated and uh it's why you know as you said johnny um there needs to be constant vigilance and and attention paid to every state race every federal race every you know judicial seat and this stuff matters indeed it does and so we'll have a lot of these kinds of issues that we'll be talking about throughout this program and and through other episodes to come and explaining to you why it's really important that you do take some interest in this and be proactive and sometimes proactive is not just at the polls it could be at dinner or in a conversation with a friend or family member or a co-worker to help put a, a face a real face on people who are affected in their lives by these kinds of decisions and helping other people realize that there are everyday consequences for the actions that come around uh, come about as a result of people who are discriminatory in these ways and you know and and the thing is in when we talk about consequences there are real life consequences for lgbtq folk trans folk specifically um people of color women all kinds of groups that it matters on but there's also um and we have a story this week of unintended consequences of these stupid laws so in indiana they passed an you know an anti-trans bill that required teachers in schools to you know notify um, parents if 
a student wanted to go by a name other than, you know, their legal name on the birth certificate or whatever, you know, that sort of that kind of legal formal name. Right. And so they passed that. And guess what happened? Parents are finding out that that was really, really dumb because it's now causing parents to have to go down to the school, take time off of work, go down to the school and sign paperwork if their kids have a nickname. You know, if their name is, is, you know, Patrick and they want to go by Pat or if their name is John and they want to go by Johnny, um, because it's not their legal name, they have they, they need now parental approval for things like standard generic nicknames because they passed this stupid law. Yep, they can't just be called lumpy for no good reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it goes again to show, you know, these bills are often, they're so hastily drafted and are just drafted not out of any kind of real, you know, substantive goal other than to just harass and marginalize a population. But then you find out that are all there are all these knock-on effects that that then normal people are, you know, or, you know, people who think that it's not their deal are suddenly having to deal with it. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. It affects me too. I hate this. And it's like, well, you should have thought about that before, you know, you allowed to, you know, you voted for someone who was campaigning on one of these dumb platforms. Richie, I think you called it the law of unintended consequences. Yeah. And we see this all the time with these kind of, really dumb knee-jerk bills um you know there there are things that end up happening and then and then they have to you know they have to try to hastily you know pass some patches to get out of that you know um you know so it's just it's all it's all a mess and it's all you know again sort of this segment is really about how so much of this is really focused right now on on trans folks you know thankfully um to go back to the power of the judiciary and the importance of it um, there's another, there was a good, a good ruling, um, this week out of Idaho, um, just as schools are sort of starting to, to ramp up, to get back into session, Idaho had passed a bill banning trans children from using, uh, bathroom facilities that align with their gender identity. Um, and this, by they, the way, blew me away that the, uh, law that they had passed in the potato state, that it had offered kids a $5,000 bounty for reporting trans kids who used a restroom that aligned with their gender identity as opposed to what it said on the birth certificate. I mean, a $5,000 bounty. Yeah. You know, well, this, because what this, what, and this is actually sort of a, a, a common tactic and it's actually not been that successful so far in the in sort of the judicial realm, but um, to prevent the argument that it's you know government overreach or the or government sort of you know using its power in an improper way, they pass these bills that basically allow private citizens to bring a case or private citizens to complain and provide bounties and provide legal fees and stuff like that in a way to try to dodge a legal infirmity. Unfortunately, it's so transparent that it doesn't work for them. It's very similar to what they did in the Lone Star State in Texas with regards to people who helped in any way, shape, or form uh, a woman to Mm -hmm. obtain 
a abortion and mm-hmm. or you know to get some sort of care to help them uh rid themselves of uh a fetus and it's just outrageous you help somebody to get out of state and go somewhere that's legal to do it you were going to be subject to fines if you were a doctor and somebody knew that you were helping somebody with regards to their um to their reproductive care you were going to be fined and and it was able to be brought up by everyday citizens it it just i mean talk about a police state <laughs> It's. I was going to say it really. You know that, and like there's even they've they've done try to do similar things. I remember in the past with with you know um, illegal immigration, and you know criminalizing basically helping someone who may happen to be undocumented. You know is itself then somehow criminalized, and they, it's very East Germany. It's just this kind of snitch snitch culture. Yeah. Um. And. Uh, you know, for uh, ostensibly the, you know, party of small government, invariably when it comes to, you know, morality policing um, and sort of especially sexual policing, they're no, they are not in any way the party of small government. They are the party of, of really, you know, Owners getting in government. there with a flashlight. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just, it, it so, you know, all of this stuff kind of uh, really just highlights, too, um, you know, that uh, local stuff matters, uh, state-level stuff matters, state courts matter, and, um, and yeah, you know, we have some wins and we have some losses, and, you know, we do this every week, um, you know, we try to kind of uh, bridge the gap and have some, some positive notes in addition to the negative notes, but um, yeah, there's a lot to pay attention to. On, with regards to that case in in Idaho, uh, federal court getting involved there, and uh, the senior counsel for Lambda Legal, uh, Peter Wren, was quoted as saying that the court's ruling is going to be a relief for transgender students in Idaho who are entitled to basic dignity, safety, and respect at school. And when school is back in session, they should be focusing on classes, friends, and activities like everyone else, rather than worrying about where they are allowed to use the restroom. Mm -hmm. No one's return to school, he said, should be met with a return to discrimination. Ain't that for sure? I mean, I think about these things. I never would have imagined these when you and I were going to school, these kinds of issues. And uh, just, I mean, frankly, I am fine with unisex bathrooms for people of all ages. They have stalls. Let them do their business wherever they can do their business. You know, it's, it's like this is no big deal. It's a human function. It's not a guy mm-hmm. thing. It's not a gal thing. It is an everyone thing. And this, you know, because this goes back, this goes back so far, you know, with this, this, you know, it's just this, this bathroom panic shit and it's, it's, it's baloney. But, you know, I agree with you that, you know, unisex bathrooms, you know, there's the, the one I talked about before in the Whole Foods where, you know, there's a common bank of sinks, there's a bunch of stalls and, there's no gendered bathroom. It's just, you know, you just go do your business. You know, every airplane is unisex bathrooms, um, you know, or gender neutral bathrooms. 
Um, you know, you can think every porta potty is a gender neutral bathroom. Um, but then you have people, people who are so wedded to this issue and so, so, you know, brain worm eaten, like the guy in Petco that we talked about, mm-hmm. who was so triggered and snowflakey about seeing that there was an option for a gender neutral bathroom that he had a meltdown. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are some people who are just so focused or, you know, so trained to be, uh, you know, sociopathic on this issue that I think the, the idea of having gender neutral bathrooms would 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 make them go into a I think I figured meltdown. figured out the situation on that one. I think it all came down to the fact that that guy was he was so um, afraid that if a woman were to be in the men's room uh, or vice versa uh, that he would be so embarrassed because of his flatulence and stink that, <laughs> that she would look down her nose at him when he came out to um, wash his hands or something. So, you know, that's a bunch of bunk anyway. We're going to yeah. continue with the Gay BC Happy Hour. I'm Johnny Mac along with Richie Roy. Coming up later in our program, uh, just under, under an hour from now, we're going to be joined by comedian and actor director author craig chester you might remember a film that came out 18 years ago that's right it has reached the age of majority now 18 (laughs) years since adam and steve was released and that was his film we're going to meet with him he'll be here with us in studio in our next hour so i hope you'll join us for that your calls are welcome 760-677-0111 stay with us The Happy Hour on Gay BC. No agenda, except for that gay one. Giddy up, partners. We're back at the happy hour. I always love that intro with that kind of Western twang. So um, welcome back, everyone. Um, and uh, to continue on with uh, with easily triggered uh, snowflakes. <laughs> Traumatized <laughs> children in the public schools. It's this story my face melted off because it really just it really shows kind of how where we are at right now i have to ask i have to ask you a question though richie sure because the story that you sent me about this has a stock photograph of a child Mm -hmm. in a classroom or at home i guess maybe doing homework yeah and i'm looking at that photo right now and it looks like he's crying bloody murder and i had to ask did you have the same reaction to the story? Yeah. Oh, did yeah. Did you want to no, cry was, like this little kid? Yeah, that I looked like that. The, the picture. Yeah, it's a, it's a little little kind of toe headed kid with a pencil and a book, and he's just his he's just screaming. Yeah. And this story had me screaming because it is outrageous. So this is in the not so great state of Texas in Conroe, Texas. I don't know where that is in Texas, but somewhere. Um, and the school board. Where's as, chicken? You know, we need him. What was that? I Where's know it? chick exactly. So um, there was uh, so the trustees of the Conroe Independent School District were are having a bit of a moment because um, one of the trustees of this school district um, wants a quote crackdown 
on political displays, even though they're already dis- they're already disallowed. And and the example that was cited is that there was a first grade student who was so traumatized seeing a poster that had people of different races holding hands that the child had to change classrooms. Okay, by the way, Conroe is, uh, it looks like it's a suburb to the north of, it's due north of Houston. Okay. And it sits on uh, Lake Conroe. And so the thing about this story that made me so outraged, um, because, you know, then it talks also about, of course, you know, things like rainbow flags and, you know, it it brings in all the usual suspects about things that are, is that kind of like how religion is now a get out of jail free, is a get out of jail free card for discrimination generally, you know, especially in the courts, there's just so much latitude for the First Amendment. But um, the increasingly there's this keyword, you just say polit- it's political and that, that somehow means that especially in the school context that it needs to disappear and that you know when you look at it that means things like in florida teaching the real sort of teaching the real history of what uh black americans were subjected to in slavery you know it's 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 a bunch of stuff and here it even you know is the 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 gist of this is that even just racial harmony is a quote political statement that has no place in schools. That is so wild to me, and um, and it suggests that that there are people who who whose thinking is like that. The, that their schools like sh- I mean again we talked about this before that are seek that that think that schools should basically be resegregated. That um, you know the idea of a non political school is a school where there is a single race being educated. I mean, that's kind of where this line of argument goes. So I was just so blown away that in, that it was such a bald statement, just that, you know, and, and this first grader obviously learned this umbrage from somewhere. First graders don't go around taking umbrage at innocent pictures of hands of many colors holding hands. This is a learned trait. And that's also a big scary red flag um and then the idea that that one first grader whose racist parents taught them to be racist can lead to things like changes in what can be shown and what books can be read and stuff in schools it's chilling it is chilling the city is 71 percent white nearly 12% black, some members of both races overlapping, with the uh, 30% of self-identified Latinos in the community, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And a 2021 study called the city of Conroe a high-segregation community and noted wide financial and political disparities between black and white residents. Um it was a high highly supportive area as you might guess for Donald Trump but the fact that you have people in this community who they're not so sure about having Bible verses and whether those constitute some sort of political speech but definitely playing into the woke hands of the left by having anything that indicates any 
anything to do with race and with sexual orientation and such. Uh, I'm just tired of people saying that my existence or your existence traumatizes somebody. The only reason that they would be traumatized, like you say, Richie, is because they have been indoctrinated. They, their children do not come into the world uh, possessing a dislike of other people based on uh, immutable traits. Mm-hmm. That is all taught by somebody in the home. Yeah, and it's just it's the thing is that 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 the essence of what this of what this child has been taught is you know because when the, during the the sort of height of the Black Lives Matter movement there was this kind of grotesque all lives matter rejoinder yeah but here okay so we're having but a don't poster all lives that, matter. that says all lives are you know equal and that's not enough either basically yeah. what they're saying is white lives matter and white imagery only that's that is the like the gravamen of what this of what this is what this is saying it's so appalling to me it just it really just my face just flew off speaking of flying off um, I flew off the uh, handle when I first heard about this as I'm sure you did uh, over an airline's attorneys being sent to religious liberty training that's run by an anti-gay religious zealot organization the Alliance Defending Freedom organization and we're going to talk about that next on the gay bc happy hour where your phone calls are welcome at 760-677-0111 with richie roy i'm johnny mack we're missing our friend chick maxon but you can participate as well so do that We're live once a week, but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them. The hosts will tell you where, if you ask nicely. Hello, and welcome back. And yes, um, we will tell you, uh, since you did ask so nicely, um, anywhere the podcasts exist, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, TuneIn, um, and uh, those are all great places, and we really do suggest um, that if you like the show, go ahead and subscribe. Go even make leave a review if you'd like to. Um, you know what I'm it's thrilled about for us. This past week, I that? got an opportunity to look at some of the uh, at some of the numbers, the analytics for the show. Oh, and I was so surprised to see. But then again, I I guess I shouldn't be that uh, the majority of our listeners are apple people so it turns out that 74.1 percent of all of our uh listeners to the podcasts not necessarily to the live stream but to the podcast are listening on an apple device and uh and so most people get the show if they're listening in podcast form through Apple Podcasts. And mm-hmm. then it goes down kind of rapidly from there. I think Google Podcasts was 11%. And then it was uh, Spotify. And then a whole bunch of others that were in the uh, fractions of a percent up to about 2%. So yeah. anyway, uh, good good going, guys. I, 
yeah. I think we all recognize that Apple is the is the champion of of breakfasts when it comes to well, yeah, and they really. I mean, they were early on on in terms of really po- getting podcasts out there. I mean, on the I, I mean, it's named podcast named you know iPod. Um, you know, they they were kind of early on getting that as a, a sort of um, a, a medium. So you know, it kind of makes sense, right? Um, but speaking of uh, some of our earlier topics. Um, the judiciary is important, and uh, we've got a couple stories here um, that really point this out. Um, one is uh, a crazy judge, and the other is a story that I, I'm hopeful does not end up in the Supreme Court, but we'll get to both. So the first one is um, a Trump-appointed judge uh, was uh, ha- hearing a case involving um, Southwest Airlines. Now, let's be very yeah. specific here. We're talking about some dumbass named Brantley Starr. <laughs> okay, yeah. Brantley Starr um, was hearing a case. Uh, uh, and the case itself actually sounded so bogus. So is an employee of Southwest Airlines who um, got fired and asserted that the reason why she was fired is because she, it sounds like she was spamming her union president about her stance against abortion. She was then fired. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the the stated reason was, but she claimed that it was because her, you know, her fervent religious belief that abortion is evil, uh, you know, was re- religious, and therefore it was a religious discrimination. The judge agreed with her, and. Uh, earlier in the year, and then requ- you know, sort of ordered that the airline inform its employees that they that that the airline may not discriminate for religious reasons against its employees. And they respond, you know, they put out a statement saying that they do not discriminate against you know employees for their religious. Well, uh, maybe they you know, should. Beliefs. This pissed them, you know, pissed off the the plaintiff who said that that's different wording that they were dodging their responsibility to to claim their wrongdoing. The judge, you know, tacitly agreeing, then randomly ordered the the lawyers for Southwest Airlines to attend a religious liberty training hosted by the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, a right wing crazy legal organization that's been behind a lot of the anti-gay and anti-woman uh, litigation that's been going on over the past few years that is also um, determined by the Southern Poverty Law Center to be a hate group because of their anti-LGBTQ um, litigation. This is crazy uh, on its face. It, the ADF uh, was not involved in the case at all. They weren't the, they weren't the attorneys. They weren't – I mean they, they, they weren't involved. This judge just sort of sua sponte on on their own just said, okay, uh, because you didn't use ex- the exact wording that we wanted you to use, your lawyers have to attend religious liberty training, which is like, I think it's like eight hours or something, which as a lawyer who's done legal education, that's a lot of, that's a long course. Um, and I can only imagine what kind of baloney is spouted in the ADF course on religious liberty. But um yeah, so you just have these rogue judges um and, you know in this one appointed by Trump uh just kind of going going wild and 
you know, making rulings. Uh, thankfully, you know, so the Southwest has appealed this order. But, um, you know, it just goes to show, again, the importance of the judiciary that if you get some wacko in there, not only do you get bad decisions, but you get weird decisions. Uh, big, bad, weird decisions. <laughs> this is just as outrageous as it goes. And look, I have many people of faith in my family and in my circle of friends, and I in no way want to disrespect their beliefs or even those myself. But I, I don't even know what to say because there has to be some sort of common sense that says somebody's religious rights do not supersede somebody's uh, civil rights. Yeah, and I also don't. I also don't understand. And this wasn't in the in the news coverage that I read. This wasn't explained, but like. I don't know what the pretense or what the what you know the the sort of described reason for the firing was, but why? But but stepping back, why is this person? Why is she spamming her union rep about hating abortion? Like, how is that relevant to work? I don't I don't get that at all. Like, and that sort of then allows someone to just kind of have a standing grievance, a religious related grievance, if you ever get fired. Uh, because you know they, she was ordered to be rehired by the judge. Yeah. So, and by the way, point, that that see you next Tuesday. She was uh, also represented by the this organization that represented her is the same folks who represented the uh, the people in that case a month or so ago at three hundred three Creative. Um, ah, in great. the uh, case where the Supreme Court decided last month uh, that some creative professionals have the constitutional right not to serve the LGBTQ community. However, in that case, which was equally as absurd, uh, of course, she didn't even have a proper standing. A, a proper standing, a- yeah, because she actually had never been asked, despite her lies, to create a website for a gay couple uh, to get married. And I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, and this is an increasing this is an increasing problem because I've seen a couple other articles um, about cases. I think maybe even there's I know there's a case, a recent I think it was the Fifth Circuit made a ruling against them, Mifepristone um, availability. But these cases that basically don't that standing isn't proper or that that, that really aren't really properly before a federal judge, but a court just takes it up anyway. Um, and you know it gets passed up the chain. And if you know if the Supreme Court wants to get rid of a case, they know what standing is. They know how. They know when standing lies and when it doesn't. Now, but, I was, you know, was going to ask you because you're the legal professional here. Is there not some sort of uh, situation where uh, bar associations or professional organizations would weigh in on something like this? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't read in, you know, in the, um, in the website design case, I didn't read, uh, I imagine I didn't read the amicus filings. I imagine that there must've been, you know, either in the main filings or in the amicus filings, they must've raised the argument that there is no standing. I, they, I'm sure that this was raised, um, you know, in probably the principal filings in chief, but 
I'm sure there were there were amicus filings as well. Um, but yeah, th- there is a procedure by which you know you can intervene if there's something untoward. But the Supreme Court, you know, in its infinite wisdom um, and its complete bias at this point, um, can just ignore. They can they can either uh, you know, dispatch with a case, you know, with complete, you know, abandon because of standing, or they can pretend that that's not an issue and rule anyway and make, you know, precedent setting, uh, law. So yeah, this is, this is an, this is an increasing problem with these sort of radicalized judges is they'll take these, um, you know, the, the, the right is really good at teeing up cases. They find the perfect plaintiff, they get it all teed up and they just, throw spaghetti at the wall until something sticks. And, um, you know, and then increasingly when you have Trump appointed a ton of judges, a ton of judges, you know, Federalist Society approved conservative judges, um, you know, it just takes one. You can forum shop, you can find one, and they can do all kinds of mayhem and get a case that should never have been heard all the way up to the Supreme Court. So, yeah, it's dangerous and it's it's why the judiciary really does matter. And, you know, what we've talked about in this show before, um, you know, querying whether or not these you know, lifetime appointments for federal judges make sense, uh, you know, especially now when you're ensconcing very young radical judges to basically yeah. be a lifetime, uh, you know, legislator. They're legislating from the bench. Yeah, indeed. And especially at a time when more and more of them are violating the ethics rules that uh, should be in place for all of them, uh, as we've seen with the Supreme Court justices, and they're taking vast, vastly significant gifts from people whose business is before them. Oh yeah, and, and you know that that whole, and I must say that that a lot of you know a lot of that lays right at the feet of of John Roberts. Who, who, his pearl clutching at these ethical lapses is just like laughable. It's just, it's actually like hysterical, hysterically funny that he's like, wait, what? Oh, I mean, it must, you know, he, he's acting as if, um, you know, because there's a lot of, a lot of people, I think actually just fair minded people of various stripes who are like, look, there needs to be guidelines here for the Supreme Court. And he's like, oh, dear, oh, my, no. No, of course not. Like, ha- whoa. And ProPublica every week is just re- reporting some new, you know, uh, you know, jaunt that specifically Justice Thomas has been taken on by some, you know, billionaire who has direct business in front of the court or some ideologue, uh, you know, who has been trying to get a something, you know, in front of the court for years. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And, you know, the, uh, there was another case um, that is is just starting. And when I read the when I read the story, I was like, oh, boy, this is this is not this is not going to go well. I'm not happy about this one. So this was um, a Catholic couple in Massachusetts um, says that they were denied approval to be a foster parents be foster parents or you know adopt because of their stance on trans and non-binary uh people 
So basically, they were interviewed you know, as part of the kind of state process for getting on the list to be foster parents or, you know, adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions was, you know, what would you, you know, what do you, what is your thought on trans folks, um, you know, or, you know, LGBT, the LGBTQ community or whatever. And the, the woman said something along the lines of, well, take the T out of that, um, you know, and they made it clear that they think that 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 trans folks are you know aren't valid aren't are you know sort of are against their religion uh you know are you know mentally ill or you know otherwise basically saying that they would are not would not be supportive if they had a child who turned out to be trans yeah and they also you know and i i i i know this i i recognize this as someone who grew up catholic this little you know sort of red flag to me, um, saying, you know, that they, they would love and support, you know, a gay child. Um, but and then they kind of, you know, and mentioned something along the lines that they would have, they should live a chaste life. And what this means is that they are not supportive, no. with, that they think that gay people should not be in relationships or have sex. Um, they basically are like, okay, well, you just have to be chased. You know? Look, I actually um, agree with them to an extent, which is that they should not have to have sex with a priest. But, you know, that's just me taking it a step further. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll round this one out uh, uh, in, in the next segment. But um, up, coming up on something a little more fun. <laughs> so... We will uh, we'll talk about a boxing match that may or may not happen. Oh, brother. Stay with us. <laughs> this is the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac. Chick Maxson is off this week. Turn that frown upside down. It's the happy hour on KBC. Welcome back. And just to put a put a button on the topic we were just talking about before the little break here, um, you know why I why I am nervous about this this case is you know they're bringing this action, and I can see this being one of these cases that just kind of gets thrown up the thrown up the ladder. Because the Supreme Court, not that long ago, um, in a case, unanimously ruled that a Catholic adoption agency uh, is allowed to refuse to place uh, children with LGBTQ couples. That's just allowed. They're, you know, religiously allowed. It's the First Amendment. And what this is, is this case, you know, seems to me to kind of be uh, making the uh, sort of, it's like the one-two punch, to then say, and... That state agencies cannot have any kind of neutral rules about, um, you know, w- placement with religious families, you know, who even if they espouse anti-LGBTQ uh, beliefs. Richie, and it so, seems you know, to me that I there's just, a that there is a solution to this for for all sides, and that is that um, Catholic organizations do not get to have children who are identifiable as LGBTQ um, within the pool of 
of children that they get to handle placements with. You know, right? But the problem is this: this is this was a, a Catholic family going through the civil, like the not through the Catholic pro system. This they were saying that the basically that the sort of the state-run system for foster care is discriminating against them. No, I understand. So, I'm just saying, don't give them a child that ha happens to fall within that. And if it turns out that the child happens to be that, then they have to, you know, they have to uh, forfeit that child back to the system. I mean, I know it sounds horrible, but better that than, you know, and save the child's life right. than, than put them in a situation where they are made mentally ill because of the... Uh, homophobia or the transphobia of their uh, adoptive or foster family. Right, but but the thing is, yeah, but it's hard to it's 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 a hard question, you know, because you don't know, like, uh, you know, trans youth. Um, how destructive is it? You know, when when does someone know that they're trans if they're raised, you know, from from being a baby by these Catholic this Catholic family, um, and they start to you know have a sense that they're trans and they're six or eight or whatever, um, you know, how much time are they also just receiving anti-trans messages that will, that will be destructive, you know, before they even do kind of come out. It's, it just, I just really am upset about this case because I can see this case trickling up and kind of leading to bad precedent being set. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, well, uh, it's like watching a slow motion train wreck. Yeah. But speaking of train wrecks, uh, on a different note uh, and a little bit lighter one, because I know we had we've talked about a bunch of heavy stuff in this uh, episode so far. Um, we have two sort of uh, what would you call them? Plutocrats, um, oligarchs. Um, titans of social media uh, and total bozos. Can we just uh, say a-holes? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a story that's been percolating for a while and one that's, again, kind of, I'm just like, I don't, I wish that the world was just a little bit less like this, but Elon Musk, um, the, the, the leader of SpaceX, Tesla, and uh, Twitter, now known as X um, and Mark Zuckerberg, the head of Meta, aka uh, Facebook, aka Instagram, aka WhatsApp, um, they've been in some kind of a you know a tiff for a while. It's very dumb, and there was this kind of like they're both, I guess, also into martial arts in some ways, um, and it became a somewhat serious news story that they were going to have like a cage match. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Zuckerberg was training and, or has been training in like jujitsu or something. Uh, and Elon Musk has been training with an MMA person. And, um, I guess anyway, Musk had even said that they were going to have this showdown streamed on X. Exactly. Streamed on X. Correct. But, um, you know, just this past week, Zuckerberg, um, has basically called it off saying that Elon Musk has not been serious about uh, actually doing this because Musk has talked about how he needs to uh, get clearance and maybe get a back surgery or something, you know, he needs, and, and you know, he's, he's made some weird statements. He's like, why well, I, I keep a kettlebell in my office and whatever, <laughs> but it seems like Zuckerberg was kind of, and I, I'm like, Oh, Zuckerberg was like ready to like tear the spine out of Elon Musk and feed it to his like corpse. And Musk was like, Oh, I'm just going to be a clown. 
but it seems like the you know that the uh, the jig is up and Zuckerberg has called Musk's bluff and it's probably not going to happen. I have to admit that I'd like to see this happen. Uh, I, I truly would love to see these two go at each other, and I have no love for either. Although I have less love for Mr. Musk, but um, you know, it's like just get over it. You know. I mean, there was at one time talk that they were going to flop their appendages out and see who was bigger, too. Remember? Yeah, that was Musk. That was Musk saying that they should have a—I believe that the the phrase was, quote, a literal dick measuring contest, I think was actually the quote from Musk. Well, based on on Mr. Zuckerberg's uh, actual height, I think he—I think that he would— even though he is not of as tall a stature, I think that you would win based on just averages of people who are in that five seven to five nine window. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah, um, it's just so. It's oh, it's just such a silly story, and it's just also like the amount of of power that that these truly kind of ridiculous men and it's men it's always these men have over like our lives because like like it or not like you know a lot of people are on facebook i spend an inordinate amount of time on instagram um (laughs) you know twitter uh or x as it's now called you know uh is still a you know a huge juggernaut for a lot of um communications although decreasingly so as it starts to circle the drain because there's there's no one work you know left working there right but um you know the these you know people drive teslas uh you know and and a lot of uh you know important stuff um you know payloads to go up satellites and things are now you know dependent upon spacex because we've defunded nasa to the point where nasa doesn't bear you know really exist in any kind of real sense and so these silly, silly men, uh, we're forced to listen to them and deal with them as they work out their petty billionaire scraps in the public square. It's honestly embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. You know, it's like go build a museum, you know, like or go go fund uh you know, fund a malaria, you know, anti malaria campaign. Do something real. No, only guys like Gates do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah, they could take a page out of the kind of the Gates philanthropy, uh, you know, book. Yeah, book yeah. Um, uh, and you know, that's actually always been an, an interesting thing too. Uh, is you you bring up a good point because you know one of the people who is both very in, his, was extremely influential in our modern technological world. But also sort of notoriously uh, skinty with philanthropy was Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you but know, I think he regretted that in his in his final in his waning moments. days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that there's this egotism with certain some of these tech moguls. They think that the work, their work, their their profit generating work is itself so beneficial to society that they are philanthropic by nature. Yeah. I think that they that some of them truly think that, you know, that putting a bunch of satellites to do, you know, to do Starlink up in the sky or creating a, you know, 
a page so that, you know, your uncle can send you a happy birthday is actually somehow philanthropic. It's not. It's not at all. (laughs) Well, we're going to do a lot more in the next hour of our program, uh, including this feature that has become a recurring part of the happy hour. We're going to be talking about some products and services that we recommend or recommend against. That'll be coming up before we get away on this week's episode. But our next half hour is going to be dedicated to visiting with a writer, actor, director, uh, and somebody who has made me roll off my sofa laughing so hard reading his books in the past. Um, It's the first time I've seen him in, I guess, decades. And, And the first time I met him was actually when I was working at Sirius Satellite Radio, and he had a brand new book that uh, came out at the time called Why the Long Face. And so we're going to get a chance to meet up with the man behind a film that is now of the age of majority. It has uh, just turned 18, and that is Adam and Steve. We'll be joined by Craig Chester in the hour ahead. So stay with us. Your calls will be welcome as well at area code 760 Six seven seven zero one 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 with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac. Thanks for being along with us on GBC. Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mac. These homosexuals are scheming for world domination. Good grief. What is it with every talk show host thinking they should run the planet? Anywho, back to the Gay BC Happy Hour. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. Welcome to Hour Two. Uh, I'm very delighted uh, that we have a guest. Um, in studio um, in our GBC HQ West Coast. And uh, and yeah, that is Craig Chester. So Johnny, do you want to do the honors? I will do the honors. Thank you. And it is a pleasure to welcome Craig to our studios uh, for the first time, and hopefully it won't be the last. Uh, we first met in 2003 in New York City, and you had a brand new book that had just been published at the time. Uh, and that was uh, Why the Long Face, right? Yes. And what, tell us a little bit about who Craig was up until that point. I'm sure. I'll, I just have to say, like, it's really weird to be in person. Like, I do so many things on Zoom now that it's like, yeah. I mean, this is surreal. Like, this 3D. It's very, very <laughs> IMAX. <laughs> um, it's good. It's very old-fashioned. Old um, I, um, I, I wrote, see what happened. I had, a, I had a column in a magazine called Genre. Um, it's sort of like a Carrie Bradshaw, like, you know, what's going on in my life, monthly column. Um, it was exactly like that, actually, dating in New York and all my crazy shenanigans. And um, I was at a party with an editor from um, uh, St. Martin's Press, 
I, I think it was there, yeah. And I and I I basically um, was telling funny stories about being in the, about being openly gay as an actor in like 1992, and all the funny you know parts that I would go up for that I wouldn't get because I wasn't gay enough or I was too gay or something. And uh, and he was like, that sounds like a great you know, idea for a book. So he he basically he read my column. Um, he um, I had to write like you know three sample chapters and I got a book deal. It happened from going to a dinner party. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys at St. Martin's have been great too in terms of all the LGBTQ people and stories and you know pu- uh, titles that they have published over the years. My editor, I mean, the same people that did my book did um, did Augustin Burroughs, um, Running with Scissors and Dry, and so yeah. I know they we've worked for many many a year with uh, people like John Carley and others there. Yeah. So really good people. Um, you know, Craig, that day when you and I first met uh, I was not yet we had not yet launched the gay station on on Sirius uh, we were still myself and and the person who would become the news director on OWQ Tim Kern and I were hosting a program on their kind of sort of left-leaning channel at the time it was called Sirius Buzz and it was a very early morning and I hated getting up in the mornings but that's what they wanted and so uh, you know, we were at a time when the uh, universe of listeners on satellite radio was only about 5,000 people oh, wow. spread out over 100 channels in 24 hours a day, seven wow. days a week. And But I do remember getting up that night at like, I think I would go into the office around 4.30 to start the show at 6. And I remember getting up like at 2.30 in the morning and going out and laying down on the sofa and thinking, I should at least thumb through this book a little bit and be somewhat aware of what we're going to be talking about and read some of your your tales. And I remember being afraid that I was going to wake my neighbors as well as my partner who was in the next room when I fell off the sofa laughing my ass off reading a story about you talking about... um, having to fake speaking in tongues <laughs> habita, habita. Yeah. Habita, habita. <laughs> yes that's yes the true story the chapter was called habita habita but it was about when i was um um i grew up in a charismatic non-denominational fundamentalist, fundamentalist family in texas and um and in my church like the cool kid was this guy john who was like we were both like 15 and he was like the cool kid but he really spoke tongues really well he was really good at speaking in tongues he was like he was fluent and he was like the cool kid. He was sort of like the star of the, of the high school, of the, of the of the church youth group. So I was like super competitive with him and wanted to be like popular like John. So when we went to summer camp, I I was determined to speak in tongues. I was determined to give a convincing performance. But when I when push came to shove, I was really bad at it. it didn't come naturally at all. Were you always recognized as the funny kid? No, I was I was wasn't recognized at all. I was kind of invisible when I was growing up. I was really outgoing as a little kid. Then I was really super shy all through like high school, and and then when I went, uh, I went into high school drama. I, I got depressed, and when I was like like in sixteen, I fell in love with this boy in my youth group actually, and I had like my first sort of puppy love that turned into like tragic gay, you know, um, Romeo and Juliet love. And then it was like, and that became that deepened my experience of my life. And then I became like an act, I started acting and into drama I was more active in that but no I was I was really really shy it's super I still am kind of shy in a weird way but yeah and, but you were originally from out here on the west coast right you grew up uh, in in the greater Los Angeles West Covina area. Yeah, yeah West Covina 
Where how the did, mall is. How did you end up going to Carrollton, Texas? Um, my dad was in a rock... When I lived in California, my dad was in a rock band named Whiskey. He was a lead <laughs> singer and bass player. His name was Cecil, but he changed his name to Ed in, during that period. Because Cecil was not very cool. Not a rock star name. Mm. And, um, you know, they were a cover band. They opened for like, you know... They were a cover band. They played Holiday Inns. Their big moments, they opened for Ike and Tina Turner, but when they were doing Holiday Inns, like in the seven, like when they're on the skids. Um, they cut one LP or one 45 record. So he would have those dreams of being a, star, of a rock star. And then when that didn't work out, he was like, he got a job working for Nestle. And, um, and uh, like taste testing like, quick. As, as in, <laughs> I mean, I, when you're a kid, when your dad works for Nestle, it's great. Yeah. There's like boxes of $100,000 bars in the garage. <laughs> Just being there, like eating my feelings and getting zits. But he, so he got transferred to Dallas. So we moved to Dallas from California for that reason. Okay. Yeah. And, 12. and so uh, were you in doing the school drama thing at that point? And no, I, when I went to the day that I, my first, well, I was in Christian schools my whole life until I was 13. So mm. like, until we moved to Texas, I was in like super, super sheltered. Like, Your so, dad was a rock guy and my, you were in a very religious family. My dad was in a rock band and my mom was a boring and Christian. Oh. Totally different um, parenting styles. My mom was always like, be more like Jesus, be passive, <laughs> be basically be soft and be gay. My dad was trying to get me to butch up, you know, like, be tough and so these two completely boring you know like they were both like and then finally my dad was not religious and then finally when we moved to texas he sort of gave in and was like fine i'll i'll like you know i'll start going along with this thing my <laughs> wife does he never really totally bought it but he was he was like a good he was a great dad but yeah talk about the long face stuff i mean this is a actual condition this was not just a title of the book and yeah when i was when i was <clears throat> 13 the bones in my face my jaw started growing like long abnormally like my chin my jaw lower jaw grew down grew down instead of forward and my the tip of my chin was like by my adam's apple and so i was and I, as i got older i started to look weird and i was very the kids in the in the high school used to call me like a sock puppet so it looked like a sock but i had no chin so my and my teeth were crooked and were sideways and it was horrible and and so one day at church of course my this guy came up to my mom, uh, this guy in my church came up to me and said, you have long face syndrome. And I'm like, what's that? And so he's, he took me to a, um, a, a specialist named Dr. Sin, maxillofacial surgeon. His name is Dr. Sin. We were Christians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my life has really written itself. I don't, I just show up and don't die. Yeah. But um, he, uh, um, so when he said, when you're 18, I can fix this. So I waited the next two years, just like when I'm 18, I can get my face fixed. And, so when I was 18, I had a year's worth of operations and they rebuilt my whole, my whole lower jaw and they rebuilt the roof of my mouth and they moved my crooked teeth in to make them straight and, and um, this he saved my life. And because of that, I, I was able to like, I had always wanted to be an actor, but I had a deformed jaw and, and deformed mouth. And so when I went to New York, I, I had a new face when I was 19 and nobody knew what I looked like before. So. And that was 1985? Late 1984. Yeah. Fun time to be in New York. <laughs> I bet. Scary time, yeah, too. Yeah, 19 years old and like, hey, everybody's dying. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? Um, I think only now do I appreciate how horrible it was. I think when you're young, you're sort of like impervious and oblivious. But I, it was, it was horrible. I mean, it, it, it had such a profound impact on my development as a, as a sexual person. I was, from right out, the, out of the gate, I associated it with dying. So. Um, I think that, that that imprinted on me in a really big way. And I think a lot of people... A lot of and and that's where you went to school for drama? I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. <clears throat> um, 
and I went to the first year, but then I didn't get asked back, which is, which is actually really common. The other people I know that went on to be, su- be successful never got asked back. So it's sort of like, now I see that. But I, but it got me to New York, and that was the whole point was getting to New York. I wanted to be in New York. Yeah. Richie? Yeah. So I, you know, I, um, one of the things I think is interesting, because, you know, we, we've talked about um, sort of, you know, comedy generally on the show. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is looking back and sort of, you know, watching Adam and Steve um, is it's pretty, you know, it has a lot. It, it's it's edgy. The the jokes that it kind of are all, you know, go in a lot of different directions. And I just am interested, um, you know, as someone who who, you know, also is, is a writer and thinks about, you know, comedy. Um, do you think that, a, you know, a movie like Adam and Steve, you know, given sort of today's mores, would it be made today? Would it be made no. in the same way? You know, how would you think <laughs> no. about it's uh, well, comedy now? Yeah. No, no, it, it would not get it, it would be so censored now because <clears throat> I actually haven't seen it in, in like 15 years. So I don't when I see it on the 31st, but I, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, it'll be with fresh eyes. But I think that, I mean, Adam and Steve reunite in, in as adults. Um, over an active shooter incident in Central Park or something like that. I mean, it's very, there's a gay bashing love montage. It was very, I mean, it's very on PC, I guess. And, and uh, back then you sort of had the freedom to just like, well, it's funny. And, uh, but a lot of things like Blazing Saddles is like, you know, hysterical, but it's so dated. It's so of that moment. And and I think the reason, it's sort of, I'm sure Adam is probably the same way. It's he's, some of the humor is like what gets us canceled now. <clears throat> but it, I think the reason why Blazing Saddles is so, I'm, you know, Mel Brooks's heart was in the right place, and I think that always shows in a, in a whatever you're working on and whatever your project it is that has a soul, and the soul is of the people making it. So I think that it, it would get canceled if it were made to do it. We'd have to cut a lot <laughs> out. There's a whole, yeah, just I don't think I'm I'm even aware of how canceled I would be <laughs> compared to that. Right. Thing, so. Yeah, I mean, I what? actually uh, started to watch it again last night. Oh, yeah. And yeah, because it's of course it's been forever since I've seen it, and I saw it when it first came out, and uh, and I again had one of those moments where I couldn't stop laughing <laughs> for a little bit when you had a little uh, scene with uh, the first kind of hookup scene of the of the show, yeah, and somebody has a little accident on the carpet, <laughs> a little, yeah, <laughs> little. <laughs> <laughs> It was a capital A accident, let me tell you. Yeah. I, I don't imagine that something like that probably is going to get... That's a true story, actually. It was? It's a true story. It's about a man and a woman, though, not two guys. It's about this woman who I, who was a, knew my boyfriend at the time, who um, went to her high school reunion, and she ran into the guy she lost her virginity to, this football player, and they went, they're like, let's go rekindle our lost innocence. So they go back to the hotel, <clears throat> while they're... And I think they were doing coke, which is part of the story too. Right. They um. So anyway, this and so the exact it plays out exactly as the story was told to me, which is like he's showing off his muscles. He's like, you used to be so fit, and he's like, I'm still fit. I work out every day, and he's showing her his muscles, and this thing happens, and and it hit her on the on the lip, and she vomited. I mean, the whole thing happens exactly as I put in the movie, and um, that sequence is. The first time we saw that in a theater, it was at the Tribeca Film Festival yeah. with like fifteen hundred <laughs> people. It was like. It happened, and then you heard this audible gasp, like, <gasps> and then the entire theater went howling. With, just, I've never been in a theater where there was that kind of 
outrageous <laughs> howling laughter. Like it was, like the roof came off the place, and I was like slinking down in my seat, like, oh my god. It was truly a moment that I thought this is a John Waters film. Well, then, so then John Waters, it played in Provincetown, and John Waters was in the audience. He sat right in front of me, which is like, I got to watch him watch the movie. And at the end, I went up to during the Q&A. Someone asked me, like, who are your inspirations? Who inspired you as a, as a, as a writer? I was, like, well, I was like, well, one of them is here today, John Waters. And, and then he yelled from the audience, I put the shit at the end of my movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, I don't you know, want to give like anything that, away just, for people who have not <laughs> yes. seen this. And by the Spoiler way, Spoiler alert. There are there are multiple um, streaming services where this is available. You can get it on Prime, you can get it through uh, Tubi. Yeah, Tubi and and other uh, services. So, um, again, it's called Adam and Steve and it's coming out again uh, in a special event that you're having here in the Greater Palm Springs area next week. So uh, the 31st, tell us, actually. Or the 31st, okay. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what's going on. Um, well, I I, um, I was at a party in, uh, with my the guy I was dating at the time, and um, um, I ran into Paul, these guys, Paul and Steve, who have this thing called the, the Filmmakers um, Lab. And so they, they, they came up to me and recognized me, and they, they were like, let's show Swoon or, or Adam and Steve. And I was like, well, Adam and Steve's more like the Palm Springs crowd, so <laughs> let's do like Adam and Steve. And so that that's it happened really organically, and, and then like it just sort of at the time, I was sort of more in a place to like even think about doing something like that. And, and, and Malcolm Getz had reached out to me to play Steve, and he was like, you know, he sort of, he went out of, he went to Florida for a while, he taught, taught acting there, and came back to New York and was like, let's do the sequel, let's talk about doing the sequel. So we were starting it about, we were talking about doing the sequel before this happened. So it was very like, you know, like an interesting coincidence because then um, he was gonna fly at her just to work on the sequel. And then, um, and when this happened, when these guys put in program the movie, it's, it's at the Mary Pickford Theater on August 31st. Um, it was sort of just a perfect, very natural sort of, you know, now Malcolm's coming out for the screening. We're gonna hang out and work on the script um, for the sequel, like right um, around that week, so. It's all just unfolding, unfolding very naturally, very, very nicely. So there is a sequel coming. There, we're working on it now. Yeah, it's called. Okay. It's, it's called Adam and Steve Fifty Five Plus. <laughs> and it's about the How same characters Palm Springs. <laughs> in, set in Palm Springs. Yeah. About where they are today, and and they move into a gay retirement community, like a Fifty Five Plus, which is chock full of characters, and you know you can imagine of the course. comedy. So it's sort of a perfect match of like a location and like my sen- my sense of humor. I think it's going to be, um, and so we'll, we're going to be you know. It'll be. Inter- I'm working on the script now, but it's going to be interesting to see like what, like we've been talking about my sense of humor, if it'll translate to like 2023. But hopefully, it'll. I think people need to laugh more than ever right now. I think because laughter is freedom. You know, it's everyone's so like. Is it like, something that will get a debut like at the film festival here in Palm Springs? Or? Well, if it's shot here, that would be ideal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be if it could be when we. When Adam and Steve came out, we, there was a. It was in the Palm Springs Film Festival, and Malcolm and I and Chris Catan were here for that. We stayed at Hotel Zozo, and so we have all always good memories of this place. Speaking of good memories, we're going to talk more about those as we continue our conversation with Craig Chester, and his event is coming up on August the thirty-first. It's going to happen at the Mary Pickford Theater in Cathedral City, California, which is, for those who don't know, just adjacent to Palm Springs and is probably the finest theater in the whole Coachella Coachella Valley. Uh, 
I can I can still speak a little bit. Uh, uh, we will continue our conversation. If you have a question or a comment you'd like to share with Craig, you're welcome to do that at 760-677-0111. Along with Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Stay with us on the GBC Radio Network. hour where the drinks are half price the snacks are complimentary and the hosts just won't shut up welcome back to the happy hour we are here with our special guest craig chester and uh talking about uh, adam and steve and uh the screening that's upcoming and you know one of the things that that actually I felt very nostalgic for when I was uh, doing a little rewatching of part of it was um, weirdly enough the opening at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. It was TLA mm-hmm. uh, releasing, and it reminded me TLA and Strand. It's just I, I was thinking about how important um, and how I think actually um, essential uh, there it was to have these gay in sort of basically gay indie film releasing sort of studios or i don't know what you'd call them um and it got me thinking about you know kind of the the way in which um weird quirky interesting challenging movies were available to watch you know it was it played at the tower theater you know i know in sacramento you know when i was growing up there um and uh is there how has the landscape changed for, you know, movies, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, doing sort of a, uh, you know, a sequel, um, you know, what is, what does movie distribution look like now? Um, you know, there used to be kind of these gay indie pipelines. Um, you know, what does it look like now to release a movie in 2023? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's like, you're talking really about independent films in general and how independent films, you know, are you know i mean there's still i think i think that because of what's going on in hollywood is the writer's guild strike and the sex strike i think that i think that actually my feeling is that there's about to be like a renaissance of like you know new independent films as a result of that because it's getting to be like very much much about like you know either like it's just there's a real need for it and i think that because of ai and like all of the technology just there's people are really we're sort of even more than ever i think there's going to be like a, a need and hunger for like you know like independent films that are about human beings. And that's, that is just like my prediction. But in terms of the gay content, I feel like it's the same thing. I think the hardest thing now is just starting to get people off their phones and like pay attention to a movie. And, you know, everyone's so, I, I, I think that people are, their retention spans are either like two seconds or like two hours. And I do, I do believe in, in movies as like a, as an art form. I think that they're, I don't think they're ever going to go away. People keep saying that, but people like long form things. They, they, they watch binge watch TV shows. That, um, and, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, the dust has to settle right now with what's going on in the industry, but in terms of like gay content, there's a new gay movie that everyone's talking about, it's streaming. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, opportunities to be, like Tubi, for instance, is, is where Adam Seeb's playing, one of the one of the streaming services that it's on right now. There is, you know, there is like, this, there's a lot more um, 
outlets to get your work out there to get your movie or your gay movie out there and so that's great and i love that and there's the criterion collection and there's like all these great um streaming services but i think that um but it's just the challenge is just like there's a lot of um there's a lot of um um content right now and not that much now but you know i i think it's i just don't think it's always the same i think that people um people never get tired of seeing movies they never get tired of like you know of having that experience going to the theater and like sitting in a dark theater with people it's just you can't replace that and i think that the more we become more you know disconnected from each other and isolated in all this technology i feel like um till people will start to like want to have the experience of going out and like the way that we are right now in 3d and <laughs> studio not in zoom you know yeah. it's, it's a different I, experience I, I think it's especially important, I mean, I just sort of personally, with comedy, because yeah. you really like to laugh with people or yeah. laugh with someone. So true. And it's like watching a comedy by yourself isn't always that fun. <laughs> like, yeah. Because actually there's something about laughing in the presence of someone else laughing that makes it more fun. Well, there's there, laughter is freedom, you know, and there's, I'm, I've worked with Lisa Kudrow, and she was telling me she, she was talking about the state of comedy today, and she was and she was so right. I never thought about this, but she pointed out she's like, comedy nowadays is not about laughing; it's about like watching something. Like I think of those progressive commercials, like the, with flow, like those TV commercials. That sure, are like, yeah. It's like it's she, and she was like, I watch it and I go like, oh, that's funny, but I don't ever laugh. I, and I think, oh, that's funny, mm-hmm. and that's funny. Like everything's that right now. Like no one, and, and someone told me that that the reason it's that way is because to laugh you have to kind of lose control for a second, and you know young people are not into <laughs> that. So I think I think that more than ever we've needed that though, and I think that you're right though. That you're right. It's, it's um it, it it's better in person. It's such a better experience in a group of people. Like what I described earlier about like that seeing Adam and Steve with an audience was so different than than if people had watched it streaming at home. I don't think it would have had the same. Craig, you mentioned Lisa Kudrow, and I had read that you, uh, we talked earlier about the book, Why the Long Face, that you actually had, had that that was optioned by Showtime yeah. to develop into a TV project, right? Well, I was actually, I was I was working on the Big Ace Cut show in New York, and um, and uh, I was walking down to the and I got a phone call from um forget who it was but it was but i got in touch with dan bukatinsky and don Roos had read my book and they had and they had a production company with lisa called uh is or isn't and um and i and so i they wanted to maybe they wanted to do a show about religion and um but it's really hard to do a show about religion because back then there was ad, it was there was only a few cable outlets you could do that at everything was advertiser based except for showtime and hbo right so i flew out to la i met them um we all headed off i love lisa and we went and we pitched it to HBO and to Showtime, Lisa and me and yeah, and Dan and Don. And then um, um, and uh, Showtime bought it. And so I, I got to adapt my book into a TV pilot for Showtime. And uh, that and the, the pilot was called Rapture. And it's about what I told you about earlier. It's about my 10-year-old self set in California about a rock and roll dad and a born again Christian mom and like... And she and the, she's convinced the world's about to end. So she's trying to save her husband and save her family t- before it's all over. The rapture happens. 
Did pretty, that come to fruition? No, but it's very timely now. I gotta say. Yeah. Well, you know what? We've we've run out of time, unfortunately, for right now. But I would love to invite you back since you're a neighbor. I hope you'll come yeah. back and that we can pick this up and do some more. And again, uh, let us know how we can get information about the event on the 31st. It's at Eventbrite. Um, just put in Adam and Steve in Eventbrite, and you can get tickets there. Great. Thank you so much for joining for us. Me. It's, it's to great you. to see you again. You too. Thank you so much for being with us, Craig Chester. We're going to continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour uh, with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Max. Stay with us. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. You know, we should have had him here for the whole hour. There was so much more we could have talked about, but it's always better sometimes to leave people wanting for more. Yeah, no, I I had like several questions lined up for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get back to that in a future episode, hopefully. You know what let's do? You're gonna be here in November and um and we're gonna be in studio together for the first time doing the show. And we should invite him to come over when we're doing that show. Because he's really oh, he is really a funny guy and it'd be great to have the dynamic of all three of us in the studio at the same time. I would love that. That's a great idea. Great. Um, yeah, for those of you who who don't know, um, Palm Springs Pride is in early November, and um, I will be heading to GBC uh, HQ West, um, the mothership uh, for Pride, and I'm looking forward to it. And um, we're gonna we're gonna have fun. So. We are gonna have fun. Although I gotta <laughs> so, tell you. Um, uh, it may take between uh, this week and then to uh, reclean my backyard up because for our pool party that we're going to have for our friends uh, coming out for Pride. Uh, because while it has been hotter than you know what out here, uh, in fact, at airtime, I think it was 111. Right now, it's 109 degrees at uh, at 638 at night. And... Um, It is going to rain here this weekend. Uh, people who listen to the live broadcast hear the news updates and have been hearing about this big storm and, or the remnants of uh, Hurricane Hillary coming through. Uh, and uh, how did we end up with that one this year? Um, anyway, <laughs> the hurricane is supposed to, remnants of it is supposed to come through here. And we're supposed to have like between five and six inches of rain in the greater Palm Springs area over the weekend. Oof. Last Yikes. time we had a rainstorm like that here was at Valentine's Day in 2019. And the roads here were so flooded, there were places that were like four feet underwater. It was wow. unbelievable. My studios were like a swamp. 
Oh my gosh. That won't be the well, ca- case where we are now, but it was where we used to have our studios at and and it was the water was coming down through the roof into the between the walls and through the tours. Mm. It was crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Anyway, I hope it's not going to be that messy this weekend, but but yeah. it's certainly going to be nice to cool off and not have the uh, triple digit weather. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So this this is a we have a fun story here just mainly because it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it and it also features um a particularly nefarious uh little ghoul who I had forgotten about. Oh, but it you know. You mean your never friend Steven? These people. What was that? Are you talking about your friend Steven? Yes, Miller? Steven Miller. If if anyone remembers Stephen Miller, um, of the rapidly receding hairline and truly ghoulish um, demeanor uh, during the previous administration, um, uh, preternaturally evil looking. Um, so he apparently has an organization called America First Legal, which is you know kind of like Alliance uh, or was it? Um, the 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 one that we were talking about earlier um the the afd oh, yeah. uh, the, the, that gets that gets themselves involved in all kinds of diff- different disputes right so if america first legal just inserts itself in in sort of all kinds of situations and where they are inserting themselves now is they have gotten uh all up in arms um and i think they're trying to kind of create a fervor to make Kellogg's the next Bud Light. They have their tidy whities in a bunch because Kellogg's has a history of, you know, putting out Pride Edition Pop-Tarts. Um, you know, there was a some kind of, uh, you know, meet and greet where Tony the Tiger was and Dylan Mulvaney took a picture with Tony the Tiger. And so, you know, obviously that's enough to just disqualify Kellogg's from, you know, existing. And... Um, and so they they made a complaint with the EEOC, which I also just find funny because, um, you know, America First Legal, they don't even, you know, people who are sort of on that political bent don't even believe in the EEOC as a concept. But, you know, they're filing a frivolous complaint with the EEOC that somehow Kellogg's, because it's promoting diversity, is like an anti-white man. Uh, and so they, they sent a letter about that. Oh, and um, and they're also kind of sabers uh, that you know Kellogg's is hurting sh- regular quote regular shareholders by you know embracing woke ideology. This is a, this is actually taking a same losing playbook out of um, Ron DeSantis's uh, little guide because Ron DeSantis you know keeps threatening to sue Anheuser-Busch, uh, you know, in a shareholder suit because, you know, their, quote, woke ideology by having, you know, sending a can of beer to Dylan Mulvaney somehow hurt shareholder value because he he then stoked a boycott. So, you know, this is a new playbook. It's basically trying to intimidate companies from uh, embracing diversity by boycotts, by complaints, by ginning up, you know, outrage. Um, 
And especially, you know, with companies, you know, like a Target, like an Anheuser-Busch, like a Kellogg's that are sort of like a Disney that have a broad base, you know, uh, of people, you know, um, across the spectrum. They're just trying to tar and feather them as being, you know, now these kind of like woke, you know, LGBTQ hugging monsters. Well, let me tell <laughs> you something. If, just- if ever there was a cornflake, it's Stephen Miller. And for him to be going up against Fruit Loops, this this yeah. infuriates me. Look, I'm not the biggest fan, and you know this, Richie. I am not the biggest <laughs> fan of RuPaul. But if she wants to be a Cheez-It, more cheese to her. Yeah, and the thing is, this all goes back in some ways. This goes back to, this, they're all really just trying to capture the lightning of fucking Tucker Carlson who thought that when M&Ms like got rid of the green M&Ms high heels that they were like making like her like a radical lesbian like th- this this bullshit stuff about why did she put brands, biker boots on yeah it, yeah the, just the, this 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 idea that companies by oh just God. like doing anything are somehow like disenfranchising mainstream America. This is like a new tactic and it is really it's really silly, but you know, I think that they're they're just trying to to bully and intimidate, you know, in in any way they can. You know, they see the writing on the wall in terms of demographics, in terms of even legal arguments. You know, they're failing at courts with with you know all of their sort of attempts to relitigate lgbtq existence the right the right wing simply needs to snap crackle and pop and go away away (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. i just Um, want to you know put them in a bowl of cereal and and put too much milk in there and flush their soggy selves down the the drain Yeah, either that or, you know, I'm a big fan of smoothies, so, uh, you know, we could stuff them in a Vitamix and uh, see what happens. uh, This is absurd. It's just absurd. I mean, do we have to even waste any oxygen talking about these kinds of things? You know, it's as crazy as the days when people started to go uh, haywire over Tinky Winky from the Teletubbies because he had a purple triangle on his head. Well, yeah, well, this is, you know, it's again, we're we're kind of in this moment of um, I think it's a it's a moral spasm. It's this kind of they realize that they're on the losing side of kind of the moral arc of history and so they're just kind of seizing at anything they're just grabbing anything they can grab at you know there was a story about there was a librarian um i free somewhere in the south i believe um who was fired um after working at the library for 11 years because she refused to remove books with lgbtq content and there were you know people uh you know kind of who were just decrying locally that they went in to look at the books and declared that 60% of the books in the children's section were quote, uh, uh, witchcraft books. Oh brother. Yeah. So that's where we're at. You know, we're back there. We're at, you know, witchcraft books and, 
you know, uh, it's just it's just silliness. And how did we finally you know, get? I to guess, the, how did we get to the point where we finally were able to to burn the idiots at the stake? <laughs> I mean, but you know, just. I mean, what did it you know, really take? To, because we need to, we need to, we need to start swinging the pendulum the other way. I mean, I think I think what it comes down to for me, because I was thinking about this, is there's a there is a I think a seriousness deficit, and I think what what happened was our previous president was profoundly unserious. He was not a real. He wasn't really interested in governance. And he's taken over a lot of people's minds that there is just a profound lack of seriousness about consequences and reality at this point. Yeah. And so you have joke, just jokers and charlatans and, and you know, uh, malcontents who are just making light of reality, you know, and, and not considering actual consequences, not considering who they hurt with their jokes, with their trolling. It's a troll world. And when you look at someone like Elon Musk, who is essentially a, a very rich troll, um, you know, we're we're stuck with trolls in charge and these troll communities who just want to just kind of break things and and kind of menace people. And it's I, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it is a sort of alarming uptick in just kind of, um, you know, anarchically stupid behavior agreed and you know uh you know uh unfortunately when that becomes a problem is when it gets weaponized through the courts weaponized through state legislatures weaponized through school boards um and you know in the past in the previous administration weaponized through the presidency yeah um profoundly unserious people and then you have you know to you know just to sort of pick out of a hat you know you have someone like louis DeJoy, a profoundly unserious postmaster general who who really was interested in in dismantling the very organization that he was i mean and you you look at you know zinke you look at a bunch of people who were in the previous administration put into cabinet level or high level posts who were put in charge of an organization that they didn't believe in fundamentally. Um, and and so you end up with uh, a situation where you have uh, just people sort of wholesale, uh, just trying to kind of break our civic structure to, you know, at every level, just throwing spanners in the works. And every time they win, they win. Every time they lose, well, you know, whatever, they tried. So. It's kind of it's a it's it's really a lose it's it's like a constant work to just kind of struggle to prevent people from dismantling civil society at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, again, this is the happy hour. We will ha we will have some fun stuff in the next segment, but yeah, I mean, I get very I get very worked up about this particular topic because it sounds so silly and it sounds so jokey, this Kellogg stuff, the Bud Light stuff, except there are real consequences. I mean, uh, you know, the Bud Light thing, Anheuser-Busch, which, you know, this fake story, this fake issue did actually affect Anheuser-Busch's stock value, which in in turn, uh, things like pension funds hold the that stock. 
you know, pension funds, including Florida's pension fund, which is why. So, so someone like DeSantis makes a story up out of makes a makes an issue that hurts the stock price, that hurts the pension fund of his own state, and then wants to bring suit, uh, uh, which is a failed suit, for doing for hurting his own pension fund. It's it's mind blowing. Companies, they're good, they're bad, they're ugly. Your point of view on that? Do you have somebody you'd like to recommend because they're outstanding or somebody you'd like to make sure that people don't make the mistake of doing business with because you've had bad experience? Well, you're welcome to join the conversation at 760-677-0111 on the GBC Happy Hour as we continue with more right here on GBC Radio, gbc.com. once a week but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them the hosts will tell you where if you ask nicely please Richie well, please tell me nicely <laughs> well you can get the podcast in all of the nice places that podcasts exist Apple Podcasts uh, primary amongst them the Google Play Store tune in um, not the Play Spotify. Store actually just Google Podcasts. And also Spotify is another one. And tune in. And if you're really out there, uh, maybe Captivate.fm. Ooh, edgy. There's, there's some others. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Stitcher. a standing a standing recommendation from uh, from the from the GBC Happy Hour is the GBC Happy Hour podcast. <laughs> But um, we've got some other recommendations and demerits this week. Um, you know, this is kind of a standing segment for us. Um, and I have to, I will go first um, because I have a recommendation um, and it's actually from, uh, it came from uh, a good friend of the show, our friend Jordy, who has called in before and has been a guest on the show, um, Colin Guest. And it is... Uh, Actually, and to to the name uh, Happy Hour, it is a hard seltzer. It is called Press, and Wait. um, what was that? Something just cut out. Oh, I can, can hear you, hear you again. Yeah, just making sure that everybody else can hear us too. I don't okay, know, I honestly don't know what <laughs> um, happened. So there's this um, hard seltzer called Press, and it's sort of you know like a White Claw kind of mm-hmm. situation, but um, it it comes in all these wonderful kind of adult flavors like watermelon sea salt and guava rhubarb and um, peach rosemary, and it, they're these kind of more adult. Uh, you know, kind of a little bit more sophisticated flavor profiles than, you know, your average black cherry or lemon or whatever. Um, And so uh, Jordy recommended it to me and I looked it up on the store locator and found some recently in my area. And I'm not disappointed at all. They are quite delicious. Um, And so 
I will give recommendations. Press, you know, like P-R-E-S-S. Um, and if you are a hard seltzer fan, um, I would give that a shot. Hmm. Okay. I, I've i drank a few. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them. But um, anytime you mention the magic word guava, I, I'm always up to be game to try something that has that flavoring. So I do love I, I that you're reminding me. Do you remember um, back in the day there was I think the brand was Kern's Guava Nectar? Yeah, it's just very, very sugary. That's I don't drink it anymore. Yeah. But uh, um, but yeah, I still see it from time to time. But I, I do love me being able to go out and, and I'm very fortunate where I live. I'm surrounded by some uh, Mexican markets. And so they actually tend to carry guava in their produce section. Mm. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that I can go get them and they're a very, um, a very glycemic friendly little treat. So yeah. um, they're very low on the glycemic good, yeah. index. Yeah, guavas, guava, and it, I also like because you know the you know it has the little seeds. Yep. I kind of love that texture because like I also love passion fruit for that reason. Mm-hmm. I love things that have those little kind of like crunchy but edibleish seeds. Mm-hmm. I just think that's fun. It's like a boba. Yeah, for sure. Um, today, I actually there's not a product that. Um, I was going to necessarily recommend, but one that I would really love to have. And more so for the fact that, you know, I, I'm one of those people where I always, with my significant other, we end up talking about maybe going out to eat. And it's like, where should we go? I don't know. You choose. No, you choose. No, you choose. And you know what the Zagat guide is, right? It You know, the yeah. guides to the restaurants. The book, and, yeah various cities around the world i would love to see something that is akin to the zagat guide that is all about the service not about the food Mm. because at a day and age when we have to pay the majority of the earnings of the people who are serving us uh and i realize things you know change all the time but you know we're also connected on our phones to everything uh, I would like to be able to see a place where restaurants are rated based on the experience with the servers. And it could be everything from fast food to fine dining. Um, because that is the thing that sells me more than anything on uh, eating somewhere more than once. Is how thoughtful and how, uh, you know, nice the experience is in terms of having somebody who's waiting on you. I don't personally have a problem with paying, uh, you know, fair gratuities. And by that, I mean, you know, north of 20%, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes 30. Um, and But I'd like to be able to go places where I know that people earn that money. And it's all sorts of restaurants, but it I feel like I'm such a magnet for bad customer service that I'm so <laughs> sick and tired of going to places where no matter how much I want to eat something, the experience is ruined by the, by the lack of quality of the server. It's so funny because I, I, I've developed like, you know, cause I live 
in a kind of rural community, rural area, but you know, it's small. Um, but there, there are some, some good places, but, um, I feel very spoiled because, um, there are a a handful of restaurants and places I go to where, you know, I go to like my local, uh, breakfast and lunch place hash and I go in there and, um, they, before I even get in the door, they They made my hibiscus iced tea because they saw my car in the parking lot. Right. You know, um, and just those little touches, those little touches, exactly. Where people pay attention and they know, and and it's important to them to give you the the greatest service that they can, and you know at a time when you can easily go out and get just a basic basic breakfast, and that breakfast costs you upwards of twenty five bucks after you've you know paid gratuity and tax and all that, um, you know it's like you don't want to feel raped when you've walked out. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good point. And the thing is, I think you you make a good point, too, that it's not it's not even about price point, because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, at least locally, um, you know, to go on a different level, because, you know, there's there's high and low and everything in between. um, There's, you know, the the Popeyes in Kingston uh, regularly the drive through, at least, has the nicest just nicest people like they're they're just fun to talk to and um you know there's just a vibe you get a vibe immediately when you go into a restaurant or you know a service environment and you can just tell either the management is doing something right they're hiring the right it's it's you can't quite put your finger on it but it's just you know that whom whomever you're going to interact with it's just going to click right and it can be anything from the like the fanciest restaurant to you know a drive-in, a drive-through. But um, yeah, it it really makes a big difference. Like you said, especially now when, um, you know your bill, uh, especially if you're dining at a restaurant, it sort of looks like a medical bill. There's so many like add-ons and fees and specific, you know, uh, you yeah, know. No, I don't recently, want I don't want like reviews that are done like people do on Yelp because a lot of people you know, get even, so to speak, using those kinds of reviews. I want people who are qualified reviewers reviewing those kinds of things like they do in the Zagat Guide. You know, those yeah. ratings aren't just made up because of anybody uh, submitting, uh, you know, their experience. No, you bring up a good point because I think one of the problems with Yelp, which I think Yelp increasingly is not relevant because no one does it anymore. Like, um, so the reviews are kind of stale and stupid, but, um, people are, are the, there's a cognitive bias towards reporting bad service yeah. and there's not as much of an incentive to go on and, and, and praise good service. And so there's no, there's basically no information on good service. There's anecdotal evidence on bad service, but there, you're right. There's no kind of like uniform or sort of trustworthy, uh, analysis of the service of any place. I think that we should become the good housekeeping seal of approval people for, for (laughs) restaurants. And therefore we should just start going everywhere and experiencing everything. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They get, get, they get like the little GBC seal on the door. Right. Um, and that, yeah, I like that. 
And you'll know <laughs> if you're traveling from coast to coast and you see the GVC Good Seal of Approval, well, that's the place you want to eat. Exactly. <laughs> Richie, thank you. It's been a fun week, and I'll look forward to seeing you and Chick again on the next Thursday's get-together. And until then, we want to remind people that wherever they like to find their podcasts, they're probably going to find the GVC Happy Hour. And uh, we'd like to thank you all for uh, listening for another uh, happy hour. And um, as always, uh, for me and for Johnny and for Chick, who's on assignment, uh, have a wonderful week. And we'll talk to you again on Thursday. And thanks again to our special guest this week, Craig Chester. May your shadow fall in pleasant places. 